Welcome to the woman, the witch, and the bitch. Join us on this journey as we navigate the topics of what it is to be a woman, woman's work, traditional healing modalities, and all aspects of birth, life, and death. Here are your hosts, Annabelle and Sitare. Hello, and welcome back to the woman, the witch, and the bitch. As most of you already know, my name is Annabelle, and I am joined here by my beautiful sister and co-host, Sitare. How are you, darling? I am doing wonderfully. How are you? I'm doing good. It is a beautiful night here in California, and I'm sipping on some tea. Looking forward to having a really insightful and beautiful conversation with you tonight. How was your weekend? It was a oh, week. Gosh, it's only Friday. <laughs> the one before. <laughs> I've lost track of what day it is that happens sometimes in the work that I do. Time's not real anyway. Uh, I've had a exactly interesting week. It has been very insightful and very necessary to my growth on my healing journey just like everything always is but it has not been fun or sunshine or rainbows in any sense and I could feel myself kind of being dragged along kicking and screaming a little because you know I'm in this constant evolution like we've talked about a few times I think Mm -hmm. in transitioning from this idea of life happening to me to this notion of life happening for me, which is just like that shift of gratitude and really trying to embody the space of how can I allow life to happen through me? Well, that's just this ultimate surrender, um, which is what I refer to as like my kicking and screaming phase of like, I'm so grateful, but fucking make it stop. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I get it. I'm like kind of dealing with the same thing with this back issue and It just won't let up. And I've acknowledged that it's not just my back physically. It's everything encompassing in my life, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. trying to go within and figure out why I am dealing with this ailment at this specific time. And yeah, it is what it is. And I'm just sitting with it. But all we can do. Exactly. I'm super excited for this topic that we are going to be talking about today, um, about internal sourcing versus external validation. And in your words, you beautifully put it, um, if you'd like to say, with freedom. Oh, yeah. So I just love the, I love the words that you used. <laughs> And I think it's important that you say them out loud because they're your words. Yeah. It's the difference between actual freedom. So this internal sourcing versus this manufactured security, which is the external validation. Yeah. Because like we talked about on last week's episode, everything is a mirror, everything. Mm -hmm. So even the most powerful and... 
not just powerful because we're all powerful, but the most effective healer that you could find is only effective because they're the most effective mirror of the part of you that you're having trouble accessing at the moment. It's not that particular person who somehow has all of this power and magic to hoard over the rest of us mm-hmm. folk. I know that there are a lot of people who are comforted by that ego security and there's nothing wrong with that. We're all at different parts of our journey. But when you're talking about true freedom, that doesn't come with the confines of anything, including the confines of the necessity of asking somebody else constantly to fix us. Yeah. Even in the spiritual or holistic sense, especially in the spiritual or holistic sense. Well, it's that's what we're going to touch on. It's not just like in the spiritual holistic sense. It's also in everyday life, mm-hmm. right? It's with the beauty industry and what we think we should be looking like. So for some of you that are listening, you probably already follow me on social media and I am not super active on it, but when I am, man, do I go on rants. (laughs) I love your rants. (laughs) And today was one of those rants. And for example, I started going gray at probably around 28 years old. I started noticing gray hairs. Maybe, actually, that's not true. It was around 26 when I went to India and I shaved my head and I was like, oh, there's quite a few grays there. But my mother went gray at a young age and she is like such a beautiful silver white fox. And my grandmother was the same way. And obviously there's something within me that is, you know, following in their footsteps physiologically. And um, I've really started to notice how predominant the gray is. And so today I put up a post that was like, the grays are coming in beautifully. And it it got me to thinking, especially because I had a conversation with a friend um, recently in the last few weeks um, about beauty and, and talking about what she thinks is beautiful. And we were, you know, she is thinking about possibly getting a breast augmentation and she was just asking my advice. Mm-hmm. And so through this, this post of me posting about my external features with say gray hair, mm-hmm. we have been conditioned in this society to not be okay with growing old. And I'm not like talking about growing old and being decrepit. I'm talking about just aging beautifully. And society has this, it perpetuates youthfulness. Mm -hmm. That's a fetish. Exactly. So that was, that was the kickstart to today and kind of to this topic, but also healers and spirituality and looking for external validation as we were saying, through someone healing us. Mm -hmm. No one can heal you. Only you can heal you. And yes, through 
facilitation with someone that is a healer or a shaman or whatever you want to call them um, can always help. But you had a really valid point that we were just talking about prior to getting on. And I think it's, it's um, super important that we bring it to light about when you hit a point with, a, with facilitators when they've done all they can do and then it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. And this is really challenging for a lot of us. I know it's been challenging for me because it's the total opposite of the narrative that we're sold on the system side of things, which is that there are experts and that there are lay people. And in this space between is all of the rest of us that are kind of doing the work but when you really get into the work, when you start to embody the work, it becomes problematic for that facilitator and facilitatee. I don't think that's a word. That dynamic becomes problematic because the hierarchy starts to become lessened. And as that hierarchy becomes lessened, you're not really apt to look to this person to tell you what to do anymore because your lived experiences no longer match. Mm-hmm. And if your lived experience is not a match for an experience that somebody is having who you are supposed to be guiding through the process, yeah. you should not and cannot be helping this person through the process because it's no longer coming from an authentic place of this is how I've done this. Mm-hmm. It's now coming from a place, well, I think you should, and that is not conducive to healing. That is not healing at all. That is advice. That is coaching. That is projection. And yeah. it's not that it's good or bad. I don't want to put those labels on things. But when you check in, you have to be honest about the fact that if you are looking to somebody, to guide you through something which they themselves have not lived through, have not personally embodied, they cannot be your guide. Now they're just offering you an opinion. And it's difficult, I think, a lot of times to look at these relationships, especially the ones that we feel we have grown so much from and had such reciprocal, beautiful exchanges in and recognize that they have a timestamp. And having the willingness to take a step back without personalizing it, without blaming, without playing this shame game of, well, they should, I should, whatever. And just accepting that this is what has come up and you're leveling up, essentially. You're leveling to the point that you have to internally source until the next guide or teacher or however you want to label it comes along and it might not always be immediate you're gonna have to sit in your own shit for a while and it's so deeply uncomfortable because that's the unknown yeah and you know this this comes from um really an outside perspective of like what i witnessed of this person being like accusing this woman of not being a healer because she didn't get healed 
Mm. Right? In quotations. She didn't, the healer didn't heal her. And this woman is supposed to be, you know, a healer herself. And the ego, it was, it was actually quite like, it made me take a step back real quick. Like, and I was like, I can't believe this is actually coming out of this woman's mouth. Like the ego is taken over massively just now. Like she knows better. Um, and it's fear-based. Well, of course it's fear-based. And a lot of it, it's actually, it's not coming to terms with, um, the truth. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know who it was. Someone just put up this post. Um, and I'm trying to remember what it said. And of course it's going to like slip my mind when I want to talk about it. But anyways, it was, you know, it had to do with the truth being scary because you don't want to look at yourself. Mm-hmm. It was along those lines. I, you know, I can't quote it at the moment cause it literally just ran away from my brain. But I also, because you were just saying like, unless you've lived an experience, I want to bring this in, especially for the birth workers out there that haven't had children, because I'm one of them. And I haven't lived that experience of giving birth to a child. Um, I have had the experience of being pregnant, but that is for another time. But I haven't given birth. And I can honestly say that I, I can support and hold space and walk with these women. But until I've given birth, I, I won't be at, you know, I won't be able to give as much as I, I could say right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it is, it's important to acknowledge that there is healing through people that haven't lived, you know, all of the experiences. But it is a very important part. Well, and I want to add, so to bring in the birth aspect of it, that there is also a possibility for embodiment through participation instead of embodiment, sorry, embodiment through active doing. So if you have attended a number of births, which I know that you have Mm -hmm. and been a witness and a more passive participant in that dynamic, that's still a form of embodiment. That's still a level of embodiment. And I think that that's a very valid point to bring up and something to recognize too, which is that a lot of these practices, which birth work absolutely is a healing modality and practice you cannot learn from a book. You cannot learn from an online course. You get information from these things. All of this is helpful. It's not that I'm labeling anything as good or bad. I don't really try to exist in those those anymore. Right, exactly. But this notion of just being able to take a course, for example, and be a doula or be a birth keeper or be a midwife or whatever else it is, It was the same thing for me when I did my master's degree and became a social worker. I didn't become a social worker from my $150,000 degree program or the two years that I spent immersed in all of this work and coursework. 
It was the clients that I had to sit in front of the human beings, which entrusted their healing process to me when I truly started learning. And that's why I think it is so essential to really ask ourselves when we're committing to being these space holders, Mm -hmm. to being these healers, if we're willing to continue to do our own work, because it starts to become very obvious who is actually embodying the words that are coming out of their mouth versus who is paying lip service because there's a profit involved. Absolutely. And with that being said, I think it's also a calling, right? I think mm-hmm. you work with people and you were you did the schooling and got the degrees that you got because it was a calling to you because of lived experiences that you had been through, which mm-hmm. calls you. Whereas like the lived experiences, which called me to study traditional midwifery and work with women through birth, you know, pregnancy, birth and postpartum mm-hmm. was the fact that I was raised in a family and started attending births at the age of three. And it's, it was just completely normal to me and my, my lineage of being, you know, the midwives in my mother's side and the midwives in my father's side. It's just something that is a calling, which I think in this day and age, I do want to touch on this. I think it is a fantasy for some women to, to attend these births, but not all, not all people are equipped for that space. Um, and especially in the doula community. Mm-hmm. And I mean, no offense to anyone who is listening that, you know, is either a birth worker or a doula, but I really do think that they are just handing out these certificates to people because people realize how much money is in birth. And that's not what birth is about. Well, and having personally, again, I only speak from personal experience, completed a DONA certified training. I didn't register with DONA because I don't do the licensure bit anymore. Yeah. I can fully attest to the fact that knowing what the training is, Doing the training alone prepares you for nothing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can say that having had two births, having done the training, having done actually another birth worker training as well, you're not going to be prepared to birth work. <laughs> In quotations, <laughs> birth worker training. You are not going to be prepared to hold that space because the work of birth is the ultimate work of life and death. It is the pinnacle of what it is to be human because in that precipice, I don't care who you think you are, whether you are the top OBGYN in a New York City or Los Angeles hospital and think you're the shit or a seasoned traditional midwife who has been attending births in physiological capacity for 30 years, you cannot control and predict birth. And that level of surrender and that presence of unknown and the gravity of that in that space, if it's truly respected, 
-hmm. is so immense that it will forever transform you. And this is not lip service. This is, again, my personal experience of having had a physiological birth in comparison to one that was safe and intervened with and helped along. And there's no comparison. And the reason that I have garnered from the difference in my own two experiences was in the second experience where the space was respected for the physiological hormonal matrix to do its thing and for birth to just happen, there was so much trust in that moment that it was just palpable. Like you could feel it, taste it in the air versus, versus this notion of all of these things that can go wrong and it's so scary and everyone's panicked and everyone's rushed and there's a solution for something before the problem even arises because there's just no space for anything to go wrong. And so in this obsession of prevention and preservation of safety, what you're actually doing is entirely taking away the experience itself. It's no longer the experience of birth. It's now a manufactured production Mm -hmm. that you have participated in and a baby comes out at the end one way or another and that is not the same experience and it's not to say that if you had a system birth that was intervention heavy that you haven't experienced the magic and you don't love your child as much I'm not saying that at all this is not shaming no it's just factual differentiation and you know I I can speak again from my personal experience. I don't love my other son less than the other one just because the birth experiences were different. And I was transformed equally by both of them in the ways that I needed to be. But if we're talking about birth the way that it was intended to be as this physiological unfolding, which each step of the way breaks you down a little bit more and forces you to surrender a little bit more, when you go through that process, there's nobody that's going to save you. Mm-hmm. Not your doctor, not your midwife. There's no surgery. There's no injection. There's no pain med. There is nothing that can save you in that moment from what needs to happen, which is for all of you that you think is you, this whole ego mind driven, just production essentially of what we've been conditioned to believe is the human experience let it go out the window because there's no way there's no way that you can predict what's going to happen no matter how many babies you've had no matter what setting you're in Mm -hmm. it's always going to be different and I feel like that's why birth is the perfect metaphor for this choice really (laughs) between this embodied state of internal sourcing and this desperation of the external validation. Yeah. It's, it's so all encompassing of everything in life, right? This Mm -hmm. conditioning from the out outside world and the society that we live in is just this constant validation. Like, tell me I'm pretty tell like I want to look like the next Kardashian I want to look like this influencer online my nose is too big my butt is too small I need bigger tits my tits don't look good in this outfit so I need to have them fixed it's like and I can so backstory 
speaking on on beauty i know we kind of cut straight from the most amazing thing in in the world birth to now we're talking about beauty but it is important at the age of 18 i had so many of my friends getting boob jobs and mind you i was this skinny twig that you know i didn't start my bleed until i was almost 16 years old like two months two or three months before my 16th birthday um i had no boobs like none i was bullied for it and i know i've used that word before but like i i yeah whatever i'm not into the whole bullying thing especially in adults like whatever anyways all my friends are getting their boobs done and i'm like i'm gonna get my boobs done that's gonna fix everything and with without even thinking twice I called the doctor I had made an appointment to go and speak with him and it was I think a day before my my interview or appointment I was like actually no I'm not gonna do this no I'm not gonna do this I don't think I'm ready for this and so I canceled the appointment and then I moved to Australia at 19 and I was dating this man and he was obsessed with boobs and I didn't have any like I had a little like a double a cup like that's like barely anything and he was like you should get your boobs done and I was like huh he's like yeah you would look so banging with like bigger titties and I was like oh well, I, I almost got them done once, but then I decided I didn't know if it if I should wait or not. And so I, I, I didn't end up having them done. But maybe I'll think about it. And that external validation from the man that I was in love with played so heavy on my psyche that I was like, yep, I'm going to get them done. And so I called up. I went and had my appointment. I went to the appointment this time, so we got a little bit further. <laughs> we got a little bit further. I picked the size. I was going to be a D cup, but like not too big. I don't even remember how many cc's it was going to be. And we scheduled my surgery date, and I put in my deposit, and I was like, I'm going to get my titties done, and my man is gonna love me and he's gonna ask me to marry him and this is gonna be a fairy tale ending a week before my surgery date i called and i was like i want to cancel this can i get my deposit back and they were like no and i was like shit i was like seven hundred dollars and it was such i'm so thankful that i was raised in the way that i was because my mother's voice the whole time, every time, just kept squeaking back in, being like, love yourself for who you are. You do not need to be validated. And so I, I canceled and I never got my boobs done. And then you know what? I turned 20, 22 and those things popped the fuck out. And I was like, oh girls, you're here now. Like, woo. And everybody was like, did you get your boobs done? And I was like, yeah. I did. They were like, oh my God, they look so natural. I was like, yeah, you want to feel the implant? Because my boobs are like really hard. 
And I would, I used to like joke with people and people would honestly think that I had a poop job. They still do. Amazing. They still do. They still think I have my boobs done. But I never. Speaking of, uh, you never what? I was just gonna say, I never went through with it and I never will. And also, oh no, you do yours and then I'll tell you another story. Speaking of duality, so swinging to the far fucking end of that pendulum right there. (laughs) I did not grow up in a family who had the mindset of you are perfect as you are. And actually in Persian American cultures, I can't speak so much to people who stay in Iran because all of my family is now out of there for reasons that we'll probably discuss on a podcast someday. I just saw getting a nose job as a rite of passage because every single woman, and I'm not exaggerating, in my family has gotten one. Really? Your every mom? single My mom, my aunt, I mean, not my grandmothers. In the last generation or two, yeah. my generation included, we've all gotten them. All my cousins. And so when it came time that I felt I could afford to do it, I didn't even hesitate. And I had broken my nose a few times. Um, Doing what? (laughs) I'm not going there. (laughs) I didn't break it. We'll just leave it there. My nose had been broken a few times. There we go. And so I had a medical justification of why I needed to get it done from the internal like septoplast the technical terminologies, the septoplasty and terminoplasty, like the restructuring of the inside of your nose, not just the aesthetic, which most people think of when they think of a nose job is the rhinoplasty. Mm-hmm. I needed all three because the inside of my nose was all kinds of fucked up. Also because of my recreational um, Christmas and July <laughs> activities. <laughs> the outside of it made me feel shitty about myself. So I did the same thing. I went, booked the appointment, gave them my deposit, was all ready to do the thing. And I remember specifically, it was February 12th, 2015, because I went to the office in Newport Beach in Orange County, California, Mm -hmm. and I gave them my deposit. And then I went to Disneyland with my ex's mom. And the next day I went home and I was pregnant with Bennett after I had paid them the $500 deposit and I was just like oh fuck so I call the front desk woman right away and I explain to her what happened and I go into the office and the surgeon very uncharacteristically writes me a check himself mm-hmm. hands it to me and just says come back when you're ready and you got yours back, I think. Right. So I have been it October of that year. And then I gained fuck, 90 pounds when I was pregnant with him. Like I was large and not in a cute way. And I struggled really, 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 really hard to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. And so now the one thing that I felt I had always had aesthetically, which was being a fucking stick was gone. 
And so I started to hyper-focus on like everything I felt was wrong with me. And the one thing that came up, no matter what, was right centered in the middle of my face. And so when Bennett was 11 months old, yeah, he was the age that Paxton is now, I had the surgery and I freaked the fuck out right afterwards because, well, to backtrack a little bit, I had the surgery. I didn't want to be on pain medications because I didn't want narcotics. I was still breastfeeding a baby. And I had this, you know, heroic idea that I could just manage with Arnica and weed. And I was in California. It was legal, whatever. And I, it doesn't matter. And that's what I did these days. That's what I did, but what ended up happening, because when you're in the system, you have to do whatever they tell you to do if you want to play the game. And post-surgery, they put you on antibiotics, not because you have an infection, to prevent an infection. The fucking Mm -hmm. idiocy of this (laughs) and what I know now is a whole different story, but I took the antibiotics and they have you on steroids for swelling. I wasn't doing the pain medications and I... I'm struggling to breathe. It's not like an anxiety thing, which my surgeon thought it was at first. And it wasn't like a panic, like my entire face is different. Like they make you do like a very brief counseling session type thing pre and post surgery. Mm -hmm. Because the thing with cosmetic surgery is even though it seems like it's something that you really want and something super exciting and that you're all pumped up for, what they know, at least if they're an experienced surgeon who's been doing it for a while, is there's going to be a huge shift between how you perceive yourself based on how you've been your entire life and this image you have externally projected of who that is Mm -hmm. versus what you're going to have post-surgery. And even if it's something you wanted, you're going to freak the fuck out a little bit. And that's exactly what happened to me. But it turned out I was also allergic to the antibiotics. Uh-uh. And the only reason that my throat wasn't entirely closing up is because I was on steroids at the same time. So it was like this weird dance between like, I'm about to be hospitalized because oh of this anaphylaxis, but the steroids are keeping it down to the fact that I'm just, it seems like it's just panic attacks. So that was the whole healing process. <sighs> and um, that was in 2016. So long, 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 long time ago in perspective. And do I regret it? Honestly, no. And it's weird because I am not advocating for any type of non-emergency, like genuine emergency surgery. I don't even go to the fucking doctor anymore. Mm -hmm. But the obsession that I had with my nose, the obsession, like more of an obsession than probably anything else in my life was so draining and that's gone. And it's so interesting because it wasn't like my nose became my favorite part of my body. Now I just don't think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think about that now Like the fact that I don't think about it anymore, the fact that I entirely externally sourced this validation for my self-love, essentially, to 
a dude with a scalpel and that's fucking Uh, terrifying yeah and i just want to like put in so i don't think we should live our life in regrets Right. right. We learn lessons from things that we probably shouldn't have done, but we did. And obviously they were supposed to happen because everything happens for a reason. And that's my belief. Mm-hmm. Some might believe otherwise. But have you ever tried to put yourself back in your shoes when you did have your ethnic nose that you you didn't like so much to heal what that was because right you ex- you were externally validated by the surgery and like now you know your nose is not what your nose once was mm-hmm. where is the healing come in where i'm like we're gonna get deep well what's funny is it ended up coming full circle like it always does anyways but Mm -hmm. it's not rocket science i'm obviously very caucasian passing and so the one thing that i felt was too telling in my constructed image of what i thought was beauty was that i looked too persian and persian is caucasian but like it's definitely well, you know. in the aftermath of 9-11 and yeah, all of uh, those things, for those of you not watching the video, I do air quotes whenever I Same. talk about political things because, you know, can't go all Joe Rogan yet and get canceled. We have to get popular enough first, but we'll get there. Maybe. I, maybe. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with my heritage because it was too traumatizing and here we are in 2022 and I go by my middle name and have changed my last name from my father's last name to my paternal grandmother's last name and I don't think I could get more Persian without like picking myself up and dropping myself in the middle of Kermanshar, Tehran or wherever I could be to connect to my lineage and it's just hilarious. I didn't so much to try to not connect because it was too painful and I wanted somebody else to fix it for me. And the thing is, when we're willing to externally source that validation, there are an infinitesimal number of people willing to grab onto that Mm -hmm. because we live in this society, in this culture now where it's profitable to have people hate themselves. Whether you're talking about the beauty industry, whether you're talking about emotional regulation and what we painted as this picture of mental abnormality, like mental dysfunction, the DSM is fucking bullshit. At some point, probably very soon, I need to film a video of me just burning the fucking thing because that's what it's good for, essentially. Firestock. It doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying that mental health isn't real. We all go through phases of depression. And, you know, as you go down a more deep spiritual path, you may go through periods of mania and you may experience what some people call schizophrenia because the veil is not just thin, it's completely gone. Yeah, I, sorry, I'm going to interrupt. And I was having this conversation with, a friend of mine today because Mm -hmm. of what I posted 
and he's like the mental health crisis and I'm putting air quotes in for some whoever's not watching but depression and all of these mental health well not all of them I shouldn't say all of them a high percentage comes from this outsourced validation for one but um what is the word of course this always happens to me when I want to do something everyone I sing sometimes when I can't remember um when they want something to happen and it doesn't expectations thank you Mm. I don't know why that would word could not come to me when you have these expectations of what you should be doing or wanting to do and they're unrealistic. And I would the, the actually anxiety. argue that all expectations are unrealistic, but continue. Well, I think that's a good point, but that's something that I've been sitting with and that I was listening to, um, who was talking about the mental health crisis. I think it was some doctor on this podcast and I can't remember his name, but he's the one that stated that. And I will try, um, to find the resource of what I'm talking about. But yeah, this unrealistic of reality, this unrealistic expectation that we, you know, we all put on ourselves and on the outside world and what we should be doing which we aren't able to complete and make happen. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these people that are like, I'm clinically depressed and my anxiety is like through the roof and trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Yeah. Um, I, I can speak to this mm-hmm. because I was trained in this. I participated in it first off and then was trained in it professionally. So I can say that a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the DSM is manufactured bullshit. And again, it's not that the symptoms as they've pathologized them don't exist. Yeah, It's that the context in which the pathology has been sold to us does not exist. I started rereading a book recently that I had kind of forgotten about called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And it's essentially talking about the stress-induced contribution to everything that we view as dis-ease within our society. But when it comes to this notion of psychiatry and psychology and this westernized concept of abnormality within behavior, it's all based on this fallacy of control yeah. and this fallacy of control. And what we see is this paradigm of science now is a direct reactionary opposite to what has existed or had existed for the past 2000 years or so, which is this highly patriarchal and kind of highlighted notion of religion based on this monotheistic Christian ideal and it's a direct reaction to it because everything that exists in our world exists in duality every single thing has an equal and opposite reaction so the equal and opposite reaction to 2,000 years of this conditioning 
that we're all evil, sinful, broken people because someone ate a fucking apple in a garden because a snake told them to has translated to there is no God, there is no nothing. All that exists is this material realm, what we can see, what we can taste, what we can touch, what we can hear, what we can, I skipped one smell and there's nothing else because that's what happens. When you live in extremes, you create the opposite extreme. And so now, essentially, this world that we're living in has sold us this notion that we have no power within ourselves, Mm -hmm. that the only people who can fix us are these experts. But what our training and what our education and what the learning entails is not experience-based like it has been since essentially the beginning of humanity as we know it but it is book-based it's all bookish learning and as somebody who's currently actively involved in the system i can attest to the fact that i'm engaged in it not because i fully believe in it and it's not hypocrisy it's because i enjoy it i actually enjoy learning that's just the way i'm programmed i know this is highly disturbing to a large number of people listening to it right now but I like being in school. I like it. That's the only reason I'm doing it. Not because I think it makes me smarter than anybody else. Not because anymore, at least, that I think it's going to fix me. I do. And what easier way than having a program where they're constantly throwing books at you to read and constantly giving you new information to analyze. It's great. But I'm it's like, highly uh, problematic. I'm like, give me the apprenticeships, please. I'm like, let's do this hands-on work. But it's highly problematic when there's an assumption that everyone should be doing it. Yeah. There's not a single thing on this probably earth been that a everyone should be doing. In the ancient oh. times. Yeah. Well, I probably would have been burned at the stake because... Well, most of, the, most of the witches weren't burned at the stake, honey. They were hung or drowned. One of my ancestors was burned at the stake. I saw it happen in a vision. That's what I was referring to, but... I know, but I just had to throw it in there because everyone's like, yeah, we're the daughters of the grandmothers that didn't get burned. It's like the majority didn't get burned. But yes, there were burnings, but a lot of them got hung and drowned and you know coming back around to to this this idea of community around just anything actually but specifically what i'm referring to is community around these labels of victimhood so you know identifying with this diagnosis so you know if you get a diagnosis of anxiety disorder or panic disorder, suddenly it becomes this outfit that you put on every day when you go out into the real world. And, you know, it's not just, oh, hi, I'm Setara and this is how I feel about whatever. It's, hi, I'm Setara and I'm super anxious. So here's a list of all of the things that make me anxious. And these are some other things that trigger me. And also if I just don't sleep or don't eat well, or, you know, my dog stays outside for too long and I have to speak to somebody that I don't know, I'm going to have a panic attack. And we start to feel- like the people that wear their their, um, disease or their ailments Mm -hmm. as necklaces, like- Mm -hmm. It's like a pride thing. 
I don't understand that. And again, I'm not mocking anybody. I'm saying all these things because this was me. I wouldn't fucking make phone calls to book appointments because I had so much anxiety about having to speak to somebody that I would try to convince my mom or anybody else to do it for me. I wouldn't call to order food mm-hmm. because I was so anxious that I didn't want to stutter or say something stupid or just have to talk to somebody else. And I lived in just this disgusting fear of ever being triggered by anything because I was afraid that if I got too triggered by something at the wrong time in a very public place that I would just be one of those people who fucking lost it and got locked up and thrown into some institution somewhere and nobody would ever come and save me like I was that certain that I could not feel into anything. So what did I do? I numbed the fuck out in every single way that I could come up with, whether it was a drink or a drug or a dick, I did not want to feel anything. (laughs) Or a dick. (laughs) And it was, it. it was so effective because everybody else around me was doing the same thing. Everybody else around me was too scared to feel what it actually felt like to be a fucking human being And the more that I look around now, the more that we're told to be afraid. You're not just afraid of the air. It's perpetual fear that we're being fed. And that's how control, that's how you can control people. Yeah. Fear is seriously debilitating. And I, I've never really, I've, I've never been one that has, that grew up with anxiety or, you know, I wasn't, I never numbed. any anything like yeah I definitely suppressed stuff but I wasn't the one going out and like doing drugs to numb something Mm -hmm. I always did the drugs that heightened everything that made me speak more that brought my personality out more and that was I was like look at me look at me look at me that was the validation that I was needing where you were like scared to put yourself out there oh no I did both it started out with numbing out and then I got too numb and I was like I need to feel something again I need a fucking personality Mm. and again there's always an opposite end of the spectrum for whatever extreme you're willing to go to but it's all this manufactured sourced safety there's no such thing as safety being alive isn't safe the fucking roof above my head could collapse right now and i have no control over it yeah i hate the word safe i think i've told you this i might have mentioned it in a previous episode as well but like i don't use that word no i won't and mine i won't use it with adults i don't use it in any aspect i don't use it in birth nothing my safety and security now the only place that i source it from at all is from source and that's it my and connection yourself. right but my connection to source is through my physical body i have nothing else i can't connect through you i can try to connect through a plant medicine through a healer through a channel any of those things but that's at the end of the validation. day It's external validation, but it's also a total farce because that external validation is only possible through me. 
So even in our attempts to externally validate and garner these connections that we feel we cannot make ourselves, we're mm-hmm. still the only ones actually facilitating the connection. The perspective just isn't there. Yeah. So I don't want to speak too much to this because it's something that I'm actively working on. And when I am in the depths of work like this, I recognize that I cannot publicize too much about it because then other people's perspectives and projections start getting dragged in. Mm -hmm. But I recently, very recently went through something where I felt that I had to externally source a solution because it felt way too over my head. And what I ended up realizing in the process of trying to come up with resources and honestly, just the will and motivation to go through this process and find another healer to help me through this process, I went within and it happened to be at a time during my bleed and I asked my blood and asked the divinities and the mothers that I am connected to for help. Mm-hmm. And that help came to me in a dream that night. Yeah. Well, and I remember not- we had the conversation. I was like, I remember being said to you, you know, the next morning when you told me this, I was like, I was feeling something and I needed mm-hmm. to speak it to you because I, I saw that, uh, that pattern happening where you were like, I need a healer. I need to do this. And I'm like, no, you don't. You've got this. I can feel it inside. And then before we had, before you told me that morning, I was like, I have to call her. I have this feeling that something isn't sitting right within her. And that was from the previous day. And I was like, we need to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And you called me at the wee hours of the morning for me. And I was like, hello. <laughs> You're like, I had a dream. I got this. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I was going to have a conversation, which I'm still going to have a conversation with you about it. But can I call you back once I wake up? Because it's too early. It's like 7.30 in the morning and I'm like, do not call me before nine. Like, please. But it was so amazing that you called me and you said that. I was like, oh, thank God she saw her power and she grabbed it because I felt you. I felt your power. And I was like, she's got this. Well, and this is something that I, and again, we're going to do another episode on this, but I have an issue with coining phrases or terminologies. That's something that resonates with me in describing the work that I do is guiding people to, understanding how to strengthen and source their presence power of consciousness Mm -hmm. to heal themselves because that's all I have done so what I'm essentially doing in the work that I'm doing is guiding other women through my process and strengthening your presence power of consciousness means that you cannot externally source your power because if you're sourcing externally there is nothing strengthening your internal resources and connection and again this isn't something that you have to learn no matter who you are 
no matter where you are, no matter what your experiences have been, if you exist on this planet right now as a human being, you have this connection because you are source. You were created by the mothers. You have this innate power. We've just been conditioned to forget about it. Mm -hmm. Why is a whole nother story, a whole lot of stories actually for a different time. And it doesn't really matter it's not the why that matters of why it was taken away. There's only two reasons that people don't heal. They didn't think that they could, or they don't want to. to. And once you realize that you can, there's only one reason. There's only one. And I'm not saying this to guilt anybody for struggling with this because I still fucking struggle with it. I know that you do too. We all do, but healing isn't a destination. Exactly. It's not somewhere that you arrive at like a fucking video game where everyone says, yay, congratulations, good job. You get to a certain level. And then when it's time for you to upgrade, you get drop kicked off another cliff. If you're more attuned to (laughs) the little shifts, they become more like little waves instead of tsunamis. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it everything that is happening is not just happening for you it can happen through you but you have to let go you have to learn to see instead of having to see yeah if if for everyone that's listening she's doing the hand gestures (laughs) (laughs) well it is and that's it it's it's surrendering to the pain to the anxiety, to the depression, to to this external world that, you know, weighs so heavy on so many people's shoulders Mm -hmm. um, to go within and to sit with it and to transmute it is is so important. Well, going back to that pain piece, Mm-hmm. It's another analogy for birth because we've been told this expectation that birth is painful or birth is dangerous, but especially the pain piece. And it's fucking bullshit because when you look at all just physiologically, you look at all the pathways that are activated during birth and the surrender and the process that it takes. It's all the same pathways that are activated into what got the baby in there in the first place, which is sex and all of the orgasmic pathways but there's one thing that turns all of that off and it's stress and so if you have fear if you have any reservation from this full surrender into the process of birth just like with anything else in life you're going to feel that pain the pain is not inevitable the pain is optional the struggle the intensity of it is inevitable that's what it is to be human the pain piece That's just resistance. Mm -hmm. That's a hard fucking pill to swallow. But again, it's a choice. And not everybody is meant to heal in this lifetime. And that's not a good or bad thing. It just is. Every single person's journey is different. It's this absolutely asinine notion that we've been sold about fitting into society and wanting to be like other people and wanting our journey to look like how somebody else's looks or feel like how we think somebody else's feels that causes this suffering for us. The struggle is inevitable. The suffering we're choosing 
we're choosing to suffer because we're choosing not to surrender. And that surrender is constantly available to us. But again, you have to choose it again and again and again and again. And even for me, there's entire days, entire weeks, most recently, a couple months where I didn't want to surrender. And the more you allow that to build up, the more you're going to suffer a little bit before you get back on track. But once you recognize that it's always available to you, that it's always right here, it's always in your womb, it's always in your heart, you can always return to it. Yeah. Always. And once you feel that, truly feel it and recognize it, there's not a single person or thing on this earth that can take it away from you. And you're not afraid of death anymore because you die a thousand times and come back every single time you surrender. It is a death. It's an ego death, Yeah. but it's death. One in the same. Death is all around us. Birth is all around us. It's just, it's continuous. It's cyclical. Mm -hmm. And that's what life is. Yeah. It's there. We could continue on and on and on. And we will this just not in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, do you want to say anything else before we end this conversation? I know there was a few other things that we were going to talk about and I'm trying to remember them because I refuse to write notes down because I like raw, real conversation where it's not scripted. Um, so we don't have notes. The only other thing that I wanted to say is that even the information that we choose to consume Mm -hmm. is a form of conditioning. And it's not, I don't say conditioning here with any type of value judgment attached to it. It's just more of an awareness and an acknowledgement that what we place our time and attention into, we will manifest in the result that is our life. And take that with, whatever perspective you will but essentially we have so much more power than we are even aware of and once you have an awareness of that power and the fact that your literal words and thoughts and everything that you are is manifesting into what you perceive as reality constantly constantly embodiment it's embodiment and you can either be embodying something that is going to serve you or Mm -hmm. something that will not serve you and again there's no mistakes in this nothing Mm. is bad or good everything just is the value judgments are put on by us yeah i'm forgetting how to speak because it's too late at night i'm like the value judgments value judgments are put in place by us so it's not that it's just really a reminder and more a reminder to myself oh I'm more than anything pretty much speaking to myself this whole time like that's what I this is what this is about (laughs) that you don't need somebody to confirm for you what you believe to be true because if the vision was impossible you wouldn't have had it yeah 
That's all. Beautiful. Even though I forgot how to talk for a minute. Are you kidding me? I'm like, I sat there for a second and was like, um, what was that word? Oh, <laughs> expectations. Like, for fuck's sake, Annabelle. Well, you I'm shouldn't sure. have expected it to go a certain way. Very, very. She's bitch slapping me in her mind right now. No, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> laughing at myself being like, shut up, Satare. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, if I triggered the Aussie accent, I really got in there deep. <laughs> Did I just do it? I don't realize when I, like, it comes through. Sometimes it comes through, sometimes it doesn't. It's it's only with certain certain words that it, it pops its little head out. I love it. Out. That one comes out. Out. I say like that, for sure. Anyways, it has always been a, a, it's always a pleasure talking to you, my darling. And thank you to everyone that has listened in. And we look forward to seeing you next time. The guest list is building up and it is going to be an amazing season. So stay tuned for the next episode and we will speak to you all then. Have a beautiful night, darling, and I'll speak to you soon. Good night. Night. And that's a wrap for another episode of The Woman, The Witch, and The Bitch. Thank you so much for joining us as we continue on this journey of delivering to you the story medicine of Annabelle and Setare as we explore the archetypes and the embodiment of what it means to be a woman a witch, and a bitch. If you would like to know more between episodes, feel free to look us up on Instagram. You can find me at The Sacred Witch, and you can find Annabelle at Reclaiming the Wild Woman. Thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Goodbye, darlings. When I was a little girl and the devil would call my name And I say, who do, who do you think you're fooling? I'm a consecrated girl I'm a singer in the Sunday choir Oh, my mama loves me, she loves me She gets down on her knees